Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I spoke with Bastian from Control IT and we discussed social engineering simulations and how this type of exercise is carried out and why it's beneficial to companies to understand where their human vulnerabilities lie. Bastian also touched on how he believes actors would make excellent social engineers as they are superb at acting the part. If this is you and you are thinking of becoming a social engineer or you are looking to understand more about the benefit to your company, then please keep on listening. Sebastian, now that I'm interviewing you on my podcast, considering I went on your podcast recently, you you speak from you speak very honestly and you speak very openly about things, and I like that because you don't you don't try to sugarcoat how things are, and I think you give a real and raw perspective, one on your own experiences, but also you give a perspective that I think is unique to other people within the industry. So that's why I'm super keen to talk to you about a few things that I think are relevant for people out there and relevant to the industry. But I'd like to start off with talking about you and your journey. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit more about where you started to where you are now? Absolutely. Well, I remember vividly the day my grandfather brought down my uh, Intel 486 computer down and we plugged it together and got it all working. Uh, And after that, it was just really curiosity for me. So I've been labeled the reformed black hat hacker. But honestly, for me, it was probably just more curiosity. Uh, Hunting around on the internet on the old 28k dial-up modem and seeing what I could find. Once I found something, I would find it and take it apart. Now, unfortunately, that led to me getting into a little bit of trouble with uh, the federal police when I was caught with a rather large stash of uh, credit card numbers, around 40,000 precise but wow. uh look it was it wasn't really uh, ill intent i didn't ever do anything other than order pizzas with it but what it did give me a great understanding about is how the internet worked and just how unprepared people were to mm-hmm. connect to the internet and the risks that it kind of put them in front of and they weren't aware of mm, Forty thousand. so that's just casually forty thousand. how did how did all that sort of uh pan out in the end <laughs> Well, do you remember the old attacks, like, yeah, the MBT stat attacks? It was just really finding an IP address. It happened to belong to one of the big four banks. And uh, I'm not legally to say which one. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, look, we found a database and it had some things in there they probably didn't want me having my hands on. Uh, It was pretty exciting getting the first pizza delivered. But, uh, obviously, I I got my wrist slapped pretty badly for that. And it's really really crazy today like if you'd actually done that same crime today it would be far more serious and the uh, implications a lot worse so I was lucky that it was a time where uh, cybercrime was very new and it wasn't taken too seriously so very lucky and I've grown up since then and you're using your your power for good now <laughs> yeah absolutely like I saw a, uh, a family friend of ours get hit pretty badly and not that much after I was uh in trouble with the federal police and they actually had all their money stolen from their bank accounts and they were insured. They had done all the right things. They had a family business for a number of years and they weren't actually able to pay their staff after that. And they, oh, wow. they had to close the doors and, uh, 
look, it was a process of seeing that happen and understanding how that happened that kind of led me to go down the path of, all right, let's actually help these businesses stop this from happening and arm themselves with the tools they need to protect themselves and keep running their daily businesses. Mm, so that's that's what I meant by saying the podcast about your your raw and real. So that actually stems from, I guess, a personal experience, which has then propelled you into thinking, well, actually, this is a thing, and I want to be able to use my skill set to help help people and mitigate a lot of these problems that I don't think a lot of people really do know about. But when I was on your podcast, you asked about how to get into cybersecurity, even if you aren't from the traditional background. And since then, it's been bouncing around in my head. Can you explain why you believe this is an important concept for the industry? Well, the the types of people that are attacking us now have changed. So maybe five, even 10 years ago, a hacker was you know, seen as a person that was in a basement with a computer and internet connection, and they would attack organizations or deface websites. Now we're facing organizations. In fact, we just came back from Thailand and the Philippines, and we basically saw these companies that had four stories, they had HR managers, they had sick leave, and they were tasked with essentially installing software onto Australian businesses, computers, and then using that for whatever means, either money or identity theft or whatever it was. And mm-hmm. these are pretty advanced organizations. They employ, you know, a large task force to create scripts that trick us as Australians. And they have quite a diverse workforce. In fact, they're, let's say, uh, 50-50 men to women ratio is pretty close. Mm-hmm. They also have psychologists. They know intimately that Australians are very trusting. They know about our taxation systems. They know about our legal requirements, our laws. So when businesses are trying to figure out this solution to the problem of being hacked or breached, we kind of need a diverse group of people thinking about this. So where my thinking comes from is people who may not have thought they were going to wind up in cybersecurity should really consider it as a career because the psychologists out there, the actors out there, the people that are just really people, people that can actually get on the phone and get someone to trust them and connect with them. They're the people we need on our side because the systems that they use to breach an organization are very clever. And we need those types of people to teach us how to protect ourselves from those things as well. Mm, And that's a really good point that you raised about may not have thought that because never in my wildest dreams that I ever think that I'd be in this space. I think because it wasn't really promoted back in high school, it was like, IT was like the help desk dude, uh, which didn't really interest me. But I think you're right on, I'm very, as we spoke about in in our previous podcast, is the curiosity, the why people do things. And I think what's really important, and I'd love to get your opinion on this as well, is you spoke about how we've now evolved from five, 10 years ago and how the attacks are becoming more sophisticated and it's really about the psychology and the human behind that particular attack. You have probably been aware the divided uh, two sides of opinion within the industry that if you're not the most super technical person, that therefore there's no real role for you. But then also there's other people saying more, I would say more of a modern approach as, as yours is talking about, well, I get that. However, there's also room for people who might not come from that traditional background. What would be your opinion on those people who probably aren't thinking as outside the box as they should be? 
Well, they're, they're taking a very narrow-minded approach to a mm-hmm. pretty large-scale problem, in our yeah. opinion. We mm-hmm. always will need those highly technical people. They're the people who create the scripts for us. They're the people who send a zero when they're supposed to be a one. They're the people that understand all the operating systems and PCIs and IoT devices and SCADA devices. We'll always need those people, but it's only a small component. Let's take a, a, a normal penetration test, for example. All our penetration testing starts with a massive reconnaissance window. We're mm-hmm. online, searching about the businesses. We're on social media. We're trying to understand who the executives are. We're trying to understand where they went to school, what football teams they like. We're trying to understand everything about their lives to create a little subset of information about them that's going to help us breach them. A technical person isn't going to be able to take that data and think to themselves, okay, how are we going to use this to manipulate a person to get into an organization? Mm-hmm. And frankly, social engineering probably encompasses about 60 to 70% of our initial targeted breach points to then get us access to the technical world. So Mm -hmm. we generally need someone on site. We generally need some kind of username and password or some kind of entry point, and that is usually gained by social engineering. Mm -hmm. Technical people aren't particularly well equipped at getting Mm -hmm. the information out of them. All right, well, let's jump into the social engineering side of things. Now, I know this is something that you guys do, Can you walk our audience through how this exercise would typically be undertaken? So end-to-end, how does it start, and the full simulation to what's the end result? This is my favourite part of most attacks because it's just fun and obviously we're paid to do it, so it's legal. We don't have to look over our shoulder. It starts with that reconnaissance. We're trying to find out everything about the business, and then we do all sorts of fun things. We'll go and drop USB keys in car parks. We will jump on phone calls and when we know people are away, we'll pretend to be them. We'll send emails. If if the person happens to be a gym junkie, we'll send them a 24-month uh, free subscription to their local gym or, or whatever it may be. But it's really targeted at the people who we're trying to infiltrate. We will find out the people in an organization that have the access that we require, whether it be an executive, whether it be a PA, whether it be even a cleaner sometimes will have amazing access into offices. Can we get a job at the organization that cleans the building? Then can we infiltrate the building and plant devices? We've got a really massive playbook of things we can try, but they're some of the key ones that are generally focusing around manipulation, phone calls, emails, and leaving bits and pieces You'd be amazed how often the big juicy 64 gigabyte USB stick left in a car park works and gets plugged into a corporate network. Or you'll also be amazed how often we can walk into reception area and they've actually been trained time and time again not to print devices, sorry, not to plug in devices from guests and not to print them out. But you send a young person in there. We've got a few of the uh, people who work for us with young children and they'll go in there explain that their homework got destroyed, it's on this USB stick, could they please print it out for them? It just seems to work time and time again. I think that's a really important point because, like you mentioned before, Australians are very trusting. I mean, this is a simulation that is deployed globally. And it's interesting because I don't think when, – when, when you're going into an organisation, you're saying, like, with conviction, like, hi, I'm here to fix the printer and I'm from so-and-so – People 
don't necessarily challenge you and they just if you say it with conviction and you say it like I am the printer guy they're more than likely to let you bypass and I know from our previous interview together you mentioned you believe actors would make very good social engineers can you explain this in detail as this might create some awareness to those people who didn't even know they had a skill set in this field absolutely so Actors have trained for a long time to be able to be someone other than themselves. And that's what we do from a social engineering perspective. If you're confident, you know, it's amazing how many times you can go in with a high-vis jacket or a ladder and say that you're testing fire alarms or something like that. Um, traditionally, say six or seven years ago in my organization, we used to use technicians and we just sort of pat them on the back and say, you'll be all right. And they were nervous wrecks and they were sweating and it still worked, but honestly, it probably didn't take a lot of digging to find out that they weren't who they said they were. An mm-hmm. actor is going to create a far more believable, relaxed story that's going to get more results. You're really spot on when you talk about that because they're going to create this pseudonym character, which makes so much sense, which is really believable. And, I, and like I said before, like people are just going to be like, okay, cool, like I'm here to do X, Y, and Z. And they're just going to believe them. And I think because all of their, what they're trying to say would actually add up if they were to do a little bit of digging. And I think, like you said, they've been trained to be an an actor or an actress. They know how to do the performance. Absolutely. And the, obviously acting is a very difficult career. These guys are out there trying to get jobs on TV shows, on, on movies. And unfortunately, sometimes they'll go through periods of unemployment. They're super grateful when someone comes in from the IT industry or the security industry and says, hey, we've got a role for you over the next six weeks. We're going to go after this organization. Here's your character. They'll help us build characters. It's a lot of fun. And it's a really, it's a breath of fresh air to work with someone who's so creative and involved Mm -hmm. where we're used to working with people who are sort of mathematically or STEM minded. It's Mm -hmm. a, it works great. It creates a fun workplace for us and they have fun. We have fun. And when we all succeed as we do, I'm not sure everyone knows we've got a hundred percent success record so much in breach. Uh, These guys make it fun and we go and celebrate afterwards and it really improves the culture of our organization. Mm, That's a really interesting point. Let's okay. So let's jump into the, the social engineering simulations for companies Now, in your opinion, do you believe companies are scared to perform social engineering simulations in fear that they know their companies may be heavily vulnerable from its quote-unquote human error perspective? Yeah, well, it really depends. Um, You'll generally sort of get three mindsets. You'll get organizations that are keen to use it as a tool to demonstrate to their board of directors that there is a risk there and they need to do something about it, whether it be training or awareness or whatever that may be. You'll get the other organizations that don't believe there's a risk and they're happy for us to do it just for compliance sake. And then you do get the odd company that's afraid to do it because they think we'll come through them like Swiss cheese. But coming through them like Swiss cheese is the first step, I guess, like similar to an addict, admitting you've got a problem and you can do something about it. And once you know how an organization is susceptible and what data they've got at risk and what makes up their organization, what controls they've got in place, then we can put some human controls. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as if you see a stranger in a building and you ask them a preset question such as, how was your weekend or how was work yesterday? And everyone in the organization has a monthly meeting to understand how they should respond to that. We'll stop most social engineering physical attacks in their steps. They'll see mm-hmm. us come into the building, how was your weekend? We answer incorrectly. 
boom, security comes and takes us away. There are many steps and cool things that organizations can do to stop themselves getting breached. And the first step is to find out there is a problem and understand how severe the problem is. Because like I said, most of our breaches start with some form of social engineering. So when you're talking to companies that are perhaps a little bit apprehensive about undergoing this type of simulation, what is your response to that to get them? It's not about it's not about them believing in it, but it's about them knowing that this is the right path forward to know uh, that of these are their vulnerabilities, but also to know what they don't know. What's your response to get them on board with, with taking this type of approach? Well, we've got a pretty unique approach. So the first mm-hmm. thing we do is make sure they've got a couple of controls in place before we even do any of these. We mm-hmm. hear about companies all the time doing social engineering exercises, particularly phishing exercises, the sending of malicious emails, but in our case, they're somewhat malicious, but won't actually do any harm. Organizations' first step is they need to implement an incident response officer and then send out a little bit of training or notification to the, their staff to say, hey, we are going to be conducting tests from time to time. If you success, suspect there's a breach, just go and consent, contact this incident response officer and they'll let you know whether it's a simulation or something real. So that's step one to easing their kind of concerns about panic running through the organization. The other thing is the first thing we'll do is we'll actually go and talk to the organizations and define with them what's important to the organization. Is it data? Is it IP? Is it assets? Is it people? Whatever it may be. And we'll show them pretty clearly that whatever controls they've got in place can be really easily thwarted by some kind of social engineering. So Mm -hmm. it'd be kind of only one side of the coin to take only a technology approach and not take a training and social engineering approach to it. Mm, very, very interesting. Now, okay, let's let's talk about your viewpoint on how you see this social engineering component evolving. Like what's on the what's on the horizon? Like you said, a lot of breaches do start from social uh, engineering, but how do you sort of see this evolving for companies to know that yes, they need to do this periodically, but how can we evolve in terms of capability? Well, there's some amazing things going on right now. I'm not sure if uh, you've heard me talking on about deep fakes or fake apps, but the the toolkit for the social engineer or the malicious social engineer is increasing every day. So we've had the first case in Australia now. I mm-hmm. uh, can't get into too much detail because we're involved in it, uh, but essentially a financial planner uh, was friends with her client on Facebook. The mm-hmm. client's Facebook account was breached. There were some videos of her client uh, on Facebook, they used uh, basically facial manipulation technology and voice manipulation, what we call deep fakes, to essentially send a quick video message to her financial planner saying, hey, I'm going on holidays to the Bahamas. I'll be back in two weeks. I really need you to move this money to this account tomorrow. This is my authentication for you to do that. Please go ahead and do so. Now, the financial oh. planner moved the money. You can see how bad it is when we can't even trust video or emails or text or voice anymore. We've had another organization contact us recently. Uh, They essentially were part of a mergers and acquisition. It was a fake M&A. And uh, these guys knew the the company backwards. So we suspect it was an insider job. And essentially, they managed to get away with millions of euros. So the social toolkit that the bad guys have is increasing. So we need to to, uh, evolve 
in our methodologies and thinking around how to protect these things. So whether that be technology that prevents internal misuse of data, such as data loss prevention tech, or whether that be training simulations for staff, we really need it to be two-faced. So we're already seeing some really cool tech evolve, like Persona is uh, some cool technology that's coming out that looks at the way you type, looks at the way you strike your keys, looks at the way you use your phone, the applications. If me, a malicious person, comes and uses your laptop, instantaneously that tech knows it's not you anymore and locks the computer out. There's heaps wow. of cool stuff evolving from a, from a psychological point of view with training to make it more effective, from a technology perspective to stop the people doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But yeah, it's fascinating. At the end of the day, it's a war. The bad guys are sometimes ahead and sometimes we're ahead. Training. You mentioned that before. Let's Let's talk about that now. And I know when talking with organizations about their security awareness training and how they can improve engagement, that there is always issues in adoption. Where do you see SAT falling down? Look, we've literally done tests of people that have just gone and had security training and they actually did worse on their phishing simulation afterwards. So why is that? Why aren't people understanding it? And some of it comes to the complexities of the training, but some of it is just dry and boring. No one wants 100%. to sit in a lecture. No. And it's that's a really boring. interesting point. Well, I feel that when I'm talking to people and I say, look, I'm in security, and if I find that boring, imagine someone who's not in security, how would they feel about that? I think a lot of the videos, they they – are not very authentic in the way in which they're positioning it. I think they're trying to be very cool and innovative. I don't. I think companies are really missing the mark when it comes to this stuff. And I think this is an area where I don't believe many companies globally have really cracked the algorithm on how to approach this. And I think it's purely because they don't understand people enough. Because at the end of the day, yes, it all starts with people, but you have to influence these people enough to get them to listen. And I think, in my experience, a lot of security practitioners think we can just paint everyone with the same brush. And I really disagree with that. I've seen some really cool approaches with some of the large corporates in Australia. Mm -hmm. I'd love to mention who, but I can't, but one company in particular, I love their approach. So they've taken our training. Our training tries to be fun. Our training tries to be examples of how, if you get hurt at work, it can also help you personally. And we get the tools out, you know, we show them things like these Wi-Fi pineapples, raspberry pies, bash bunnies, all these mm -hmm. fun things that are tactile. We actually show them how they're used against them. And we have a bit of a laugh and keep it lighthearted. But what they do, it's really clever after that, is on their lock screens of their desktops and laptops and, and mobiles, they actually have how well they've done in all the simulations. So they do constant social engineering simulations. They do constant phishing simulations. They do constant vishing, which is uh, similar to email, but using voice telephone. And they give mm -hmm. the company score. And if the company can get below a certain risk level, they'll actually give all the employees a reward. That's mm -hmm. cool. Everyone wants the reward. Everyone's front of mind. Every time they lock their computer, they're seeing how they're doing. They mm -hmm. don't victimize people who are causing bad things, but they do let them know, hey, unfortunately, you know, you clicked on this email today. Here's some more training that you need to do. It's a clever approach to keep it front of mind, give a reward for doing well, and it's become ingrained into their culture, which is fantastic. And it'd be great to see more organizations doing that. I've seen a talk recently, I think it was something on LinkedIn or 
I had it was a second degree connection. I can't remember who this was a while back, but he sort of just opened it up with saying that if someone clicks on a link, they are stupid. And I was really perplexed by that simply because it's not really their area. And I see this a lot that because Susan from finance clicked on it is automatically then she's an idiot. And I think that by just doing that is enough to turn people off internal security teams and the whole approach to being safe and secure because people feel that they are inferior because they don't know. And how would they know? It's not their area. And I see this a lot. And I'd like to get your opinion on why do you think people do that? Like, why? Like, I don't know anything about, I'm not a finance person. I'm not going to then believe that I'm an idiot because I don't know what finance is, but I see it a lot time and time again. And I'm keen to know what you think of that. Well, I think that's a pretty poor approach to calling someone silly by clicking the email. Let's be honest. Hey, I'm in this industry and I've clicked on the emails. Uh, funny story, probably something that I don't want to get out too much, but why not? Recently in the last uh, six months, I was actually hit by a Facebook scam. Mm -hmm. I was in the market for a new drone. This guy seemed legit. The, the address was there. He talked to me on email. He told me that he couldn't pick it up that night. I was more than welcome to drive and come and see it. There are other people interested. I ended up basically giving him a small deposit. And then when I went to collect the drone, I lost my $50 deposit because I got scammed by the guy. Well, I'm in the industry and it happens to me. So someone who's not in the industry, it's going to be very hard for them to understand all these new ways of manipulating people and singling people out and making them feel stupid is going to be the worst thing. As soon as you call someone stupid, they're going to be demotivated. They're not going to like it. They're going to feel bad. Let's empower them. Hey, everyone in the company's made these mistakes before. Let's all do some training together to learn more about it. Let's try and improve our score is probably a much better approach to take than other things. Someone's stupid. I know. You're so right. I was I was quite shocked when someone would say that. I do see it a lot. I like to hope that this is fading out simply because it's not their area. Why would they? They, they haven't been trained on it. Like you said, people within security are still getting uh, victimized by these types of attacks anyway. And it's not just you. There are other people that I speak to that have been uh, compromised. But thank you so much, Fashion. I think you've given a lot of knowledge on areas that I believe people still do ask a lot of questions within this industry. If people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Look, just go to our website, ctrlgroup.io, uh, or check us out on LinkedIn. We've got a CTRL Group LinkedIn page. Uh, you can find everything you need to about us there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome talking to you about these things and i think people can get a lot of value from our interview today absolutely and uh i'm not sure if this is okay with you but if anyone wants to listen to our podcast uh it's uh cyber hacker on podcast one have a listen it's also on the apple store and yeah thanks very much carissa appreciate it i'm looking forward to listening to more of your podcast as well thanks so much fashion awesome Thanks for tuning in. As always, we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode. And remember, you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out carissabreenindustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.